everyone, it's Danny, and before we get into the episode today, I wanted to thank you ahead of time for your patience with the sound quality of this episode. Unfortunately, we were recording in a an old small room that had some echo sounds and didn't have the technology, unfortunately, to make up for that, so I appreciate your patience, and the content is so amazing, and Zachary was so great to have on the show, and we couldn't not post it just because of the sound quality. So again, thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Highly Meditated. I'm your host, Danny, and today I am joined by my brother-in-law, Zachary G. Zachary, how's it going? Oh, really well. Yeah. Friday. Yeah, I know. It is Friday. How are you? I'm good. Super good. Good. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I am a teacher. I teach elementary school, and I live with my wife in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we just bought our first house, and we are expecting our first baby, so there's a lot going on. Yeah, wild. It's been great. Jamie pointed out to me the other day that you two have been together for nine years. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy because yeah, because I remember the first time I met you in Winona, Minnesota. I went to visit you guys and we went to Acoustic Cafe and I thought you were really tall and you ate sandwiches really fast and they're still are, very true. Two things I think I take pride on. <laughs> pride in rather. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, when you you realize you're old when you start talking in decades. <laughs> and, not, and not just in like years or months because I mean we're looking at we're looking at almost ten years ago that happened, which is just wild. Yeah, it's great. So today I wanted to talk to Zachary about meditation actually. He's a bit of a meditation veteran. I don't know about a veteran, but at least compared to me you are. Sure. So he's into some pretty neat stuff like Native American sweat lodges. Done done a number of different meditation retreats and been exposed to a lot of different types of it yeah in a lot of different contexts so yeah i certainly have something to share i'm I'm by no means a you know a sage or enlightened or anything like that but yeah i've I've had my toes in it for about about as long as you've known me because i found it about 10 years ago yeah i mean i would say that you're kind of a meditation og because you found it. Because meditation is super mainstream now, you know, yeah. and you were into it and you knew all about the seven chakras and all of this spiritual nonsense yeah. that I thought was nonsense back in the day. But now, yeah. now that I'm waking up, I see. Yeah, everybody did. Everybody thought I was a weirdo. Yeah. Um, especially because most of my friends were very either atheist or agnostic. Just that, that was just what I ended up being surrounded by. And. You know, I started doing all this stuff that everybody thought was really crunchy and weird. Um, you know, <laughs> like doing all this Eastern stuff. Super like, granola. What's up with this guy, you know? Um, but yeah, it's... I, I take pride in never identifying as a hipster. But yeah, this is one of those moments where I, I had found it kind of before it was really taking off. And that's kind of the cool thing is that I've been around to see it take off, you know? And, yeah, and for the, sure. And back in... You know, to, even 2008, 2009, it was, it, you know, there were plenty of books published, there were plenty of people talking about it, people doing it, but it wasn't in the culture mainstream as it feels like it's becoming now, 
you know, in healthcare and in wellness and everywhere else. I feel like more Absolutely. and more people are open to the idea. And it's like, oh, this isn't some crazy Chinese medicine, you know, witchcraft thing. This is a really practical, you know, connection with yourself and others. Yeah. I mean, to me, meditation has become a necessity. It's not even for health purposes. It's just a necessity for daily living now, but. Which is awesome. So, so let me, let me flip the question back around. What's, what has been your journey to it and with it up to this point? You know, it's funny because it was some time in the period that you and Jamie had introduced me to Anatomy of the Spirit, which mm-hmm. is a, a book by Carolyn Miss. And it's a book that talks about the seven chakras of the body. And it also touches on how beneficial meditation is for you. The first time I ever meditated is when I was reading that book. And I think I was, I don't even know, maybe halfway done, not even. And I decided to meditate one night. And my third eye split like wide open. And do you you remember this? I do remember this. And... But what I don't remember is, did that book give you a, you know, a, a strategy for meditating, or did you take a strategy from anywhere for meditating, or did you just try it? I mean, at that time, so this is probably four or five years ago now, and at that time, it wasn't, meditation was not mainstream yet. I think it's blown up really in the last four years or so, but I still had an Android. I didn't use any meditation apps. I just tried to focus on my breathing one night when I was going to bed. And what I mean by splitting open my third eye is for a couple of days, I could see colors of energy in there Mm -hmm. around people and things. And I became really aware of God and myself. And I had this crazy energy coming out of my hands and I thought I could heal Luna, my cat. (laughs) She was super fat and I don't think it worked, but I thought that's what I could do. And I could hear people's thoughts for a day. So for example, when I was in line to do a deposit at the bank, the teller snapped at me because I was taking too long to get my deposit ready. And I knew that she snapped at me because she got in a fight with her boyfriend that morning. And it is, it was so crazy. And being a Catholic, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know what your chakras were really because I hadn't even finished this book that I was reading and it was super wild and I tried to tell my mom what was going on and she just didn't believe me she laughed me out of the room yeah of course yeah which is not uncommon I mean right I've had a lot of really incredible and for lack of a better term I'm just going to call it like a you know mystical or divine experience you know something that happens that you can't explain or that's obviously connected to something bigger than yourselves whether it's God or whether it's any, any insert any you know descriptor for that but um, I, I ran into that too where I would be sharing things and I was you know things would happen that would just rip me open and I would feel like I'd have to tell everybody anybody that would listen and everybody had a different way to rationalize it you know and everybody also was just kind of like what are you talking about Yeah, I mean, I was on the verge of being diagnosed with schizophrenia. Not actually. I mean, I never went to the doctor, but if I were to walk up to a random stranger and tell them that that's what I was experiencing, that's what they would say. Yeah, the same. And and I've been in coffee shops or things of the like sharing stories of these incredible, um, otherwise unexplainable experiences. And 
I can see, even if I'm talking to somebody who has a generally open mind, in that kind of a public setting, as people are obviously listening to our conversation, I can tell that the person I'm talking to is getting a little embarrassed and doesn't really want to engage, you know, because everybody's listening to this this crackpot talk about all these, you know, crazy yes. things that are happening. Yes. And it's like, there, there isn't always a safe place to be able to talk about that. Um, one thing that comes to mind as you're saying that, if I could, um, my entry into all of this was actually the exact opposite of yours, because when I got into meditation, I was seeking the mystical. I was seeking these incredible things. I was, yeah. I was, I was waiting for enlightenment. I was ready to open up all of my senses and like, you know, sit down and be just a part of the universe and like disappear into the stars, you know? And my practice, I started with Thich Nhat Hanh and um, that kind of entry into meditation. And it was all very much focused on your meditation needs to be counting your breathing, not looking for divine experiences. Mm -hmm. You need to wash the dishes and be present with washing the dishes. And I was like, man, this sucks. I got to do all this legwork before anything yes, cool is going to happen. Totally. And. And I was really, and it, to me, it sounds like you kind of just sat down and just tried this and it just hit you, you know, became really natural and organic. I, I was trying to reach that and it took me a really, really long time to ever experience something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And also I think it's different for me because I didn't know that divine experiences could happen. You know, I was really reading my first book on new age spirituality yeah. and I didn't know. I wasn't even to a point where I knew these things existed. So to go into it with no expectation is a huge part of why that happened to me. Yeah. And another part of it is I, I do know that I was born with certain gifts. Yeah, of course. You know, one time I read a book that said, it explained it in a way that sounded really logical to me. It said people who have mystical experiences without any sort of meditation practice prior, typically went through a long spiritual journey in a previous life. Mm. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Sure. So. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but I mean, as I said, this was the first time I had an experience like this was four, four or five years ago. I wasn't at a point in my life where I could actually understand what was going on. Cause I'd be on the 18th O of Google searching yeah. what was what I was experiencing and mm -hmm. not be able to find anything. Yeah. Today, if I were to search those same things, I would have a little bit yeah. more there's a, information there's a page or there's Right, some yeah. Out there where people are talking. Yeah. Yeah, but I also at that time just had way too much therapy to go to, so. Yeah, and I back when I when I had my first kind of breakthrough moment where something it was the transition point between being a true atheist, and I was very steadfast um, in this idea that there there is no God. You know, we are, you know, we are understanding the world through science, and basically we're all primates that are going to die, which is which is you know, not to say that that's a bad line of thinking. There's a there's a really good place for all of that, but I was in that world. And then had a couple experiences that ripped me out of it and caused this real cognitive dissonance because all of a sudden I had to come to terms with the fact that everything that I thought about how the world worked and my place in it and what everything meant, all of a sudden I had to go from 
nothing exists to everything exists. Mm-hmm. And, and then I had, so, so I, I also started seeking things out. This was a decade ago. A, I didn't know where to look. And B, I also couldn't find anything. And I was really shaken. And I had to talk to a lot of different friends about it. And some of them tried to just say, oh, well, obviously that's Jesus. So you should just steer yourself into church and, and deal with it. Yeah, that really happened. And then some people were just like, are you smoking weed? You know, what's going on? Oh, yeah, that's always you know? everybody's first question. People always say, oh, so, so were you high when that happened? And and what I found at the time is I had just taken a Western Civ class, and Plato's Allegory of the Cave, are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. So to me, that was the turning point. So I, like I mentioned, I was living in this place where I believed in nothing. All of a sudden, everything became possible. And you're when you go through a transition like that, it rips your brain open. Mm-hmm. And Plato's Allegory of Cave is basically um, the, the story of all these people are effectively born and live inside of this cave. And they're all facing forward, and they're stationary, so they can't move. And all that they see of the world are these figures on a wall, or the shadows on a wall. Mm-hmm. And you live your whole life, and all you know is the shadows on the wall, and the light reflecting on the wall. And then one day, if you manage to break out of that cave and go outside of the cave, and all of a sudden you realize that the shadows weren't themselves things, they were, you know, they were shadows of other things, and that the entire world that you knew was untrue. And now you have to learn a whole new world that's in front of you. And basically, the allegory is designed to explain what happens when you transition from a place of understanding things as one way and then all of a sudden you're thrown into this world and you realize none of that was true Mm -hmm. or my perception of it was wrong or and now I have to deal with it and so that became kind of my my anchor I was like okay so so clearly people have been talking about this kind of shit for you know a thousand years so I can I can find a way to make sense of this, and then that was really what kind of led me to to meditation, which was a tool which allowed me to then kind of figure out my place in things and what I believe. That's so cool. I recommend yeah. it. it's a good read. Yeah, that that story. I'm sorry, I'm taking it back right now because no, that cool. story kind of really resonates with me because you know I told you I had this third eye opening several years ago and ever since then I knew that I had some psychic abilities or intuitive abilities Mm -hmm. and for the most part I ignored them and I I didn't see their purpose until my dad died five months ago four months ago and you know about a month after his passing I was at a workshop and we did a number of guided meditations and I met my dad in a meditation and I realized now my gifts finally have a purpose. Yeah. And ever since then, it's been like my eyes have just been wide open to all of the spirituality and healing energy and yeah, basically what this podcast is about. So, yeah. So why don't you, why don't you, you tell us, you know, and everybody who's listening, what does all of that mean to you now? I mean, what do you, what do you, how do you use that? What is that? You know, what, is, what does it mean to you? Oh, man. <laughs> I got another deep one, but, you know, let's jump in. Yeah, I mean, so I was at this workshop, and the workshop is 
put on by a woman named Michelle Chalfant, and she has a podcast called The Adult Chair, which mm. is something that I highly recommend. Um, it's kind of a therapy podcast, but it's more so a way of living, I think. And at the workshop that I was at in North Carolina, um, we did a lot of energy work and learning about life and our purposes. Part of the day on one of the days, we spent a good amount of time talking about how the universe works. And mm -hmm. it was Michelle, basically, she had this like huge whiteboard out in front of everybody and she was just drawing things. But the gist of it is that up above us is the universe and there's a bunch of souls all floating around up there on a soul plane mm -hmm. or in the light or in heaven. Can I, can I ask what... Um... You know, philosophical or religious frame of thinking does this view of the universe come from? Do you know? None. Okay. It's there are parallels to this in every religion. Mm-hmm. So you could say that above us is heaven, or you can call yep. it the light. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but that's yep. where you know all the souls are. And so we're here on planet Earth. Yep. And our souls have incarnated into these bodies, which yep. are like a vessel. Yeah, I mean, it's just a costume. Yeah. And these bodies... It's a meat bag is what it is. <laughs> these bodies are just here to give us, um, you know, a way to experience our soul's purpose. Because we're up there, and before we're born, we first of all, we decide that we want to be born. And that's a decision that we make with God. And then while we're in the process of pre-birth planning... We make soul contracts with people or soul agreements, which are agreements with other souls to help each other in life and guide you through this lifetime and be there for each other during certain periods. So that's where you pick your parents, too, because our souls have one main purpose, not one main purpose, but, you know, our souls have particular purposes when they decide to be born, like they wanted to experience trauma or grief or abuse or, or forgiveness and really all of these traumatic life-changing experiences that everybody goes through at some point it seems weird but that's exactly what you came on earth to do because earth is part of the universe and it's part of heaven and it's really the only place in heaven that you can experience both joy and pain at the same time you know, does that make sense? It does make sense. I, I, excuse me. I've never heard that particular view, but I, I like it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's I like really it. the only one I've heard that resonates with me yeah. and everything I've experienced with God yeah. and with life. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I, I think it was well articulated. Yeah, and part of our purpose is, you know, to use our spiritual gifts, and your spiritual gifts could be anything. It could be mine. I have sort of like a high energy that is meant to heal people and you know I have these intuitive abilities that are meant for some sort of higher good and haven't quite figured that out yet but maybe I will sometime <laughs> soon yeah, I, it, you know one one big thing that resonated with me is I've always liked the idea of the fact that we are the universe discovering itself you know we're divinely guided yeah exactly yeah so we're all here just bopping around on earth yeah it's kind of like a video game, really, for our souls, because yeah. we all come from heaven, and we all go back to heaven, and 
certain books will say that there's actually a long line of souls in heaven that are waiting to get a body because earth is so cool. I think we got to this part of the conversation because you asked me what meditation was to me. Yep. And I meditate almost daily, up to 10 minutes mm -hmm. to chill. And if I go into deep meditation for 20 or 30 minutes and I'll have a spiritual experience or, you know, stuff will come up. And that's not really what I need in my daily life. So I, when I meditate, I try to go into what I call the light space of just peace. Yeah. See, and I, um, when, when I meditate, I either have one of two expectations. The first expectation is that I'm going to just sit down and try to be mindful and try to um, remove perceptions, feelings, emotions, um, kind of kind of peel those layers of the onion away and to just be able to be it kind of like what you just described, to kind of be at peace. And um, when we did the mindfulness-based stress reduction course, it was a really extensive, I think it was an 11-week course, and it, we meditated for hours um, weekly uh, with a group of people, and it ended in, in, in an all-day meditation. So we went to the U of M, and we all met in the space, and we weren't allowed to look at each other for the whole day. We weren't allowed to talk to each other at all. What? Was this in college? No, this was just a couple years ago. Oh. Um, and it was a meditation all day. And so the only person who spoke was the instructor um, who had been with us the whole time. And we had been training and building to this. And the only meditation that we had been doing was to remove all of the other baggage, all of the crap. And we spent a whole day in silent meditation, laying, walking, sitting. Um, and that was an entire day of that light space that you talk about. And, you know, I mean, that was nine hours of straight meditation. I didn't have a single spiritual experience in that whole mm, time. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And um, for me, the majority of meditating, meditation comes or ends up being more like that for me. Um, and so I started to use it as a tool to kind of help my mental health. And, and, and I found that when... If I wanted to have some sort of spiritual experience, I had to incorporate it with some sort of prayer or religious practice that goes along with it. So whether that's making prayer ties or whether that's, you know, offering sage or, or other things, then I would be able to have, or singing songs, that kind of thing, uh, mantras, then I would be able to kind of stir up some of the more spiritual experiences that would happen. Sure. Um, and that's that's the second thing, the second outcome that I usually end up with when I meditate. I'll, I'll be honest in saying that my practice has gotten away from me. After we finished that course, um, I actually stopped meditating um, because I was so exhausted of it from the course because it was just the style that we were doing and things like that, and life was really busy. And then, uh, it, and then it, it came right back and became a really regular part of my routine. And lately, the closest thing that I do to meditating is, is sitting down for prayer and things like that, doing some of the Native American ceremonies and Buddhist ceremonies that I do, um, going to the sweat lodge, that kind of stuff. But it, it's, I don't do it the way that I should, or as often as I should. So 
I guess those are the, those are what it means to me, what I use them for. Um, but I I need to get back into a practice of using them more. Yeah, I mean, if that's what you feel, but I mean, as you said, it's a tool, and I agree with that whole being exhausted from a course thing. Not that I've ever done anything similar to what you did, but I did take a class in the fall when my dad was really sick. I took meditation for anxiety and stress, and I absolutely fucking hated it. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. And we were using an app to you know, measure our breaths. And, you know, a lot of people in that class found it extremely beneficial. Mm-hmm. And I personally didn't find it beneficial at all. Because, I don't know, it just didn't work out for me. It, it became a chore and not a practice where I, that of something that made me feel better. And so I think it comes down to the person, really, and what's best for them. But Yeah, it, it, and I think we went in with the expectation of trying to... Uh, you know, it's a mindfulness-based stress reduction is the name of the course. So, I mean, you go in with this goal of reducing stress. Um, whereas if you look a lot, at a lot of, like, Thich Nhat Hanh or other meditation teachers, they'll tell you that you shouldn't sit down with any expectation. You should just sit down. You know, and I think as soon as I walked into that class and I was expecting something to happen, then I'm just waiting and getting pissed off. It's like, when is it going to happen? Why yeah. am I stressed being reduced? I'm stressed out that I'm here. <laughs> the only thing yeah. I'm stressed about is having to come to this class, you know? <laughs> that's so true. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a part of it. I, I also want to say, I know we got a little tangential and kind of went into this whole, you know, glimpse of, of views of God and the universe, but I think part of all of this is it's hard to talk about one without the other sometimes. Oh my gosh, yes. I think it's a natural extension. Now there are people who uh, get into meditation, for example, people who've read Mindfulness in Plain English. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, that's kind of the entry into the world of meditation. And, And that entire approach takes out all of the mysticism. I mean, that's meditation for people that don't want to have any divine you know, experiences, things like that. And I know a lot of people where that's, when they think of meditation to them, they think of it as this self-help, self-care, manage your emotions, perceptions, feelings, thoughts, etc. And then you've got like Buddhists or Tibetan Buddhists who basically they're chanting until they become like this alien being, you know, with all of these other sentient, you know, energy life forms. And, and I think for me, I see the value in both, um, but I kind of land right in the middle. You know, it, it yeah. depends on the time and place. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. maybe a rambly response. but No. And you know what else? Meditation can be nothing. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely had meditations where I literally have absolutely nothing happen and I don't feel any better when I'm done. But... I've also, yeah, (laughs) but I've also discovered my life's purpose in meditation, and I remember when that happened, I was in North Carolina at at this workshop, and there was a spiritual teacher there, Karen, who I still work with, and I came up to her, and I told her what happened in my meditation, and that I feel like my life's purpose is supposed to be a healer, or I'm supposed to be a healer, and she took a step back from me. 
and she like, it was so funny. She cocked her head at me, sort of, and she goes, are you afraid to be a healer? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm an accountant at a bank. I'm 26 years old. I went to school yeah. for accounting. I have no idea what any of this fucking shit is. The universe is just here yeah. shaking me and telling me to wake up, and I am terrified to do it. But, yeah. I've come a long way in the last couple months. So. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Do you want to talk about your sweat lodges? Sure, yeah. So... When I was in college, so I've always known that some sort of earth-based spirituality is, is something that I'm drawn to. Um, Jamie and I, my wife, were actually... My sister. Yeah. In, <laughs> we're at, we were actually broken up at the time, and not really on speaking terms. And Jamie was one of the few people on campus who would read the email updates that would be sent out to students, and it would you know have all the random happenings of what we're going on on campus. And she happened to be looking at that and saw that there was going to be this Native American singing. And she knew that that was something that would be interesting to me. And so even though we weren't together at the time and I had broken her heart shortly before that, um, she reached out to me and said, hey, this is going on. I thought you'd be interested in it. And I can't remember exactly what happened, but I know we ended up going together. And we go into this auditorium, and I was expecting to see a bunch of Native Americans up on the stage. And there was this old, grizzly white dude with a ponytail and a mustache. Oh, there's always that dude. Yeah, and <laughs> he, uh, he was dressed in a cowboy hat, and it, it, was, it was hard to piece together what was going on in front of me because I was expecting one thing and, and not seeing it. And he introduced himself, his name was James Reedy, and he said he was going to sing some songs and explain some stories and what the songs and the stories mean. And he sang some of the most beautiful songs that just, every single one of them was a prayer, which I found out later. Um, but he sang the most beautiful songs and told stories that just, reached inside of me and ripped me open and I didn't have any way to describe what was happening and so uh, the it, it ended you know and there were like 15 people in the auditorium so it, he had clearly seen us and, and knew that we at least existed so Jamie and I were getting ready to leave and I said I want to I want to talk to this guy so we waited outside of the auditorium and he came out, and I kind of chased after him like a puppy and just thanked him for for the performance and said, you know, I, I'm really interested in this. I always have been. Um, would you be willing to talk to me sometime? And he gave me his office information and said, sure, yeah, we can talk. Um, he was pretty intimidating and pretty scary. I mean, he's a just a grisly old guy. And so I was pretty nervous about it, but I was I was at least excited that it had happened. Shortly thereafter, he invited me into his office, and he sat me down, and he said, and I kind of told him what I was looking for and spiritually seeking, and he, he looked me in the eyes, and he said, I'm not a sage. I'm not going to be a sage for you. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, it, deep down, I was like, shit, you know, I thought this was my sage. And, you know, <laughs> he ended up turning out to be 
uh, you know, that role for me. But I want to say, no, that's okay. That's not what I'm looking for. I just want exposure to this. I just want to see this. And so he said, okay, well, um, I have uh, some property outside of town, and I have an anipi, a sweat lodge. And you are more than welcome to come out and experience it and see what you think. So um, I ended up talking, I told a friend of mine that I was going to go go do this. And he said, oh, yeah, I go to sweat lodges all the time. And I said, oh, tell me about it. And he explained to me what they were. And as soon as he got done explaining it, I remember saying, there's no fucking way I'm going to that. That's insane. Yeah. And both it was scary and it was just not what I thought it was going to be. Not what um, I had kind of interpreted it to be. And he said, no, no, we should go and you should, you should check it out. So I didn't know that this friend of mine had lived on a reservation in South Dakota and had gone through sweats daily for, you know, extended periods of time. And so I went to the sweat and... Can you describe what a sweat really yeah, is? Yeah, so we, we showed up and there's a bunch of these people standing around a fireplace. Sorry. Can, oh. you, can you describe what it is in layman's terms? Yeah. So, so all it is is you have a you have a a hut basically with one door, and inside of it, in the in the center, you have a hole in the ground, maybe a foot deep, and maybe two three feet wide, and everybody goes in and sits in a circle around the outer edge of the hut kind of around the center hole mm-hmm. and there's a fire going outside a massive fire and inside of the fire in the center of the fire there's anywhere from seven to 30 large rocks so igneous volcanic rocks and you bring the rocks in and you put them so that the rocks cook in the fire for uh usually three to four hours so they're red hot and you the Burn it. Yeah, oh yeah, they're, they're fucking hot. And so everybody goes in, they sit down, it's all except two people. Two people then bring the rocks in one by one with pitchforks and put them into the center. So everybody's in this really dark little hut with one tiny little door. You've got all these rocks piled up in the center. Those last two people come in. And then from there, it they close the door. And then the term sweat comes from the fact that you actually sweat an insane amount. Essentially, you're in a sauna. It's a sauna, exactly. And how it works then is uh, you do four rounds, and you only get to open the door after each round. So in each round, you sing four songs. Um, then, So in the first round, you'd sing four songs. Each song usually has between four and 16 verses. Then you open the door. Everybody gets a chance to kind of breathe. Close the door again. Oh, and I should say that throughout the songs, um, the person who's leading the sweat is throwing water on the stones. So mm. there's constantly... Humidity, it's yeah. It's just nonstop steam. Um, it's extremely intense. It's it's hotter than any sauna I've ever been in, and there's also kind of the element of I can't get out. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'll come back to kind of the connection then to meditation. But... So you go through each of the rounds, and each round has a different purpose. So the, the Lakota way is the only way I'm exposed to. But um, the first round is you call in spirits, any guides in the universe that will come in and listen. 
the second round, after you sing your four songs, everybody gets a chance to go around and pray if they want, either out loud or in their heads. And with the purpose being that everyone in there is sharing in the praying power. So everybody is praying about each other's prayers. Um, and you do that through the suffering of being in there. So the meditation is, you know, kind of like Buddhists would meditate on a mantra, you know. So the, the meditation then becomes... Instead of thinking about, fuck, I'm hot right now and I can't breathe and I think I might actually be dying, you think about the sacrifice that you're making for the other people in that lodge and for the prayers that they need answered. And so it's the idea of mm. paying for these prayers through suffering. I love say. that because they're probably yeah. strangers. Yeah, many, uh, at most times that I go, they're strangers. They're, yeah. So the, our main group is called the Teoshpe, which is just a community of practitioners in, in Buddhism. They call it a Sangha. Um, you know, Catholics would just call it your church peeps, you know, or whatever. I mean, Love that. You know? Yeah. But so, yeah, there, there's always new people there and there's always um, people that you know. But so the whole idea is you are focused on breathing and you're focused on, you're holding your prayers and your offerings in your head as a meditative practice instead of thinking, fuck, I'm hot, I'm dying. Because the minute you think about that, you're going to spiral and have to get out of the lodge. Totally. And, in fact, the last sweat that I was at, I had to get out, which was really hard, and that's a story for another time. But, um, yeah, so you go through the four rounds. First round, you invite in the spirits to listen to the prayers. And at that time, usually three-fourths of the people that are in there will actually see spirits. So they'll see Jamie's seen spirits, our friends that come down with us that go see spirits. I generally don't see spirits, but I feel them and hear them. Sure. Um, but they'll see lights that will move around, or mm -hmm. um, oftentimes people will say, yeah, during the prayer round, your heart was glowing. You know, and I could just see a light coming out of your heart. And everybody mm -hmm. will be like, yeah, I saw that, you know. Um, and, of course... You hear stories of people that go in there that are skeptical that were just invited to come see it and go, oh, that was obviously somebody's watch. It was just glowing. You know, so, so people try to rationalize things, but uh, there are no watches in there. You're not allowed to have anything shiny. Which yeah. Is a weird rule, but that's that's their thing. They say spirits don't like it. Um, so then the third round is the pipe round. So they actually, people call it a peace pipe, but it's not called a peace pipe. It's called a chinupa. And so while the songs have been sung, so the part that's a little hard to explain over the phone is that the lodge is in a direct, the door from the lodge goes in a direct line to the fire. And in between the fire and the lodge, there's an altar, which is usually like a bison skull or an elk skull or something like that. Sure. And you can put things on there. Like I make prayer ties where, so I pray and, and wrap ties mm -hmm. and then I'll put them on the altar. Because mm -hmm. the spirit, the, the idea is that the spirit comes down through the fire and comes into the lodge and goes through the altar. Mm -hmm. And so sitting on that altar the whole time is the chinupa, or what would be commonly called the peace pipe, and it's fully loaded with, and the Lakota believe that the pipe, it was given to them as a, for a, a lack of a better metaphor, a telephone to the spirit world. So it's, it's made out of pipe stone. It's only found one place on earth. It's in Pipestone, Minnesota. Uh, the Lakota have all their stories and mythologies about how it was brought to them. It was brought to them by a woman named the Buffalo Calf Woman, White Buffalo Calf Woman. But basically, that's their avenue. So as you pray, the idea is that all these things are going into the pipe, and they're going into um, 
the, the red willow that you have in there. It's not actually tobacco. So then in the third round, everybody smokes the pipe, which in doing so sends the, sends the prayers to heaven or whatever you want to call it. And so, but it's not drugs. No, it's not drugs. It's red yeah. willow. So it's 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 branch. That's we have red willow back here in the alley behind my house. They right. Yeah. That off. Yeah. It's it, there's nothing. It, it's not peyote. It's not psychoactive. Yeah, I know. Not, and I feel like there's a stigma around that sort yeah. of thing with Native American tradition. But anyway. And go I ahead. And well, and there's a member of our Taylor's faith who practices in a different Taylor's faith where they do peyote. And I was always taught that psychoactive, you know, psychedelic drugs and the Chinooka should never mix. And some people yeah. do. Um, but I, you know, yeah, I've, I've never done any drugs there. This isn't a drug. You smoke it like a cigar. You just puff it so that it turns into smoke. You're sure. not inhaling it. And then in the fourth round, you thank the spirits for listening and you send them away. And so uh, each round you're in there and you're fucking hot and everything hurts um, <laughs> but you're all together in this meditative prayer um and it's it's absolutely beautiful and then and the cool thing about it is that the ceremony starts at 10 o'clock in the morning by everybody showing up and going out and collecting the wood that we're going to burn and cleaning out the lodge and building the fire i mean all of those things are a part of the ceremony and you sing songs along the way you you know, you stop and pray at different points. The whole day is a ceremony, yeah. including afterwards. Everybody comes out, and you're in this, you're in this like meditative, exhaustive state. That's just really beautiful and incredible. And everybody just collapses in the grass. Mm. The first thing you do is everybody comes out and they hug each other. You know, as a thank you, um, and just as a you know, having shared this experience together. And then everybody just collapses on the grass and just looks at the stars, and then. We all go up and eat together, and that's the final part of the ceremony is you have to share a meal together afterward. Amazing. Um, so, long answer to a short question, but that's the, um, not a Reader's Digest summary, but that's a, a shorter summary of the Anipi ceremony or the Sweat Lodge. And one thing I'll add is there's a lot of misconceptions about them, like you brought up the drugs for one instance, but there was also an incident years ago where somebody had, somebody like yourself or, or, or any of us who consider ourselves spiritually attuned, who had gone to some sweat lodges, realized their spiritual potential, and then started charging people to come and go, basically mm. saying, come here, we'll get your prayers taken care of, you know, and they paid them. Um, there's one man who did this that I know of, and he wouldn't let someone leave the lodge when they said they needed to leave and ended up dying in the lodge. What? And that was where most people heard about sweat lodges for the first time. That was when it made the news. Um, and that just couldn't be farther from what a real NEP ceremony is or is meant to be. So I, just, I like to throw that out there because sometimes when I tell people what I'm doing, I get one of two reactions. One is, what the fuck are you talking about? What's a sweat lodge? What are you talking about? <laughs> Number two is, oh, people die from that. That's really oh, messed up. Yeah. So um, it, the, I would say it's 90 to 10, you know, 90% say, what the fuck are you doing? You're crazy. Why are you practicing witchcraft? I'll pray for you on Sunday. And then the other 10% are like, you know, oh, that's fucked up. Don't do that. You'll die. Yeah. Also, I remember, so at Easter, 
We were at my Aunt Nancy's. Yeah. Lovely woman, by the way. So lovely. I look just like her. <laughs> but anyhow, um, <laughs> one of my relatives asked where you guys were that weekend, because you guys were, you went to Winona, I think, for a sweat or something. We, we did on Saturday. Yesterday. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're doing a Native American sweat. I think it's something like a sauna and, and a fire <laughs> yeah. or something like that. And my aunt goes, oh, yeah. We do that every weekend, too, up at Hinkley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Black Bear Casino. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Different kind of smoke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. I love that. Um, I, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you actually told them, because I, you know, we've been friends down with us. We have a couple, we have at least two good friends, and an occasional third that'll go down, and they take something out of it, and they, they want to go, and they enjoy it. Um... But when we're picking them up, let's say, in the car to go down to the trip to go down there, their parents come out, or, you know, wherever they are, the people that they're around, family, parents, whoever, and are kind of, like, interrogating us about, what is this? What are you guys going to do? What's going on? You know, yeah. Because they, like, people are ashamed in a way because it's just so weird, or maybe it's just too hard to explain, I think, is another part of it, too. It's, mm -hmm. it's something that's different. Yeah, I mean, you see that really in any sort of spirituality or new age practice, right? I mean, I I took a couple of days off of work to get Reiki certified, and I told a couple coworkers that I was doing that, and these are people that I felt really comfortable with, and even they were yeah. like, what's Reiki? And I almost didn't feel comfortable telling them, which is yeah. bizarre, because it's a very... It's thousands of years old. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's That's... a worldwide tradition, but I still didn't feel that I was in a place to explain that I was taking time off of work to get attuned to Reiki. Well, that's where, that's where I, so when I was, um, my, my best friend died when I was in high school, his name was Keenan, and I'll never forget that he was actually the first person who kind of introduced me to New Age thinking, and we were at Barnes & Noble, and he threw a temper tantrum in the book aisle because he looked at these books and he called a woman over who was working there. And, and he goes, what's up with these labels? And she says, what are you talking about, sir? And he says, it's called New Age. This shit's been around for fucking thousands of years. It's not even new. So true, yeah. And, you know, and at the time I was like, dude, quit being an asshole. And now I'm like, he's absolutely right. You know, I mean, it's, it, 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 I think the danger of calling something new age is, and I'm, I'm not saying that you're doing this, but people then look at that and go, oh, what is this new weird thing you're talking about, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that the term new age actually comes from the fact that now we are in an era, even in America, of all places, that people are finally waking up. Yeah, and and that that is a very new age for Americans, you yeah. know. It's, and it's really, I think, new age spirituality technically starts in the seventies. Yeah. And that's really when all of this began. Right. But yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah. It is. No. It's very Eastern. Yeah. You know, it's that this. I mean, it's not even Eastern. Like Native Americans have been doing this shit forever. Yeah. It's yeah. It's again parallels. You know, there's a really good book. I have it on my bookshelf downstairs. It's really obscure, but it compares Navajo Indian religious beliefs with Tibetan Buddhist belief and like 
they're, they're exactly aligned. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and that stuff's been going on for seven, eight thousand years. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's just a little editorial on. Yeah. On that. But but did it, I explain the sweats clearly? Was that articulated well? Yeah, I okay. mean, to my understanding. Okay. And if anybody has questions for Zachary or me on anything that we've talked about so far, please let me know. My email is in the podcast description, so hit us up. So bringing it all back around, meditation is a tool for reach that. Yeah, totally. All right, Zach. Thanks for coming on the show. Super fun to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was it was fun, uh, kind of going all over the place and jumping right in. Yeah, you've got some some really good insight. So I would love to have you on again sometime. I'd love to. Yeah, just let me know. Thank you everybody for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show.